Welcome, adventurers! This is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your co-host, Demi. And joining us today is a very, very special esteemed guest, one of the most creative people in the FF14 content creator community, and a fellow roleplayer. A fellow roleplayer, you say? Yes. Here with us, we have the founder of A Stage Reborn. You might have known them for some of their productions like I Want to Be Your Canary or The Story of Maria and Draco. Please welcome Steve Petterzani, also known as Wanderer Sabaku. Hello, thanks for having me on the show. It is our pleasure. Now, for the few people who maybe live under a rock and are not too familiar with you and what you do, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? We all know that you're the founder of A Stage Reborn, but other than that, what are the things that not everybody knows about you? Well, for starters, I am a law graduate. My day job, I actually work at a law firm in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, which is in the uh, the western Nebraska area. I am uh, a role player, which was, you know, a surprise before that you mentioned. Uh, a lot of people don't know that I role play. I know, especially with the stage reborn being different from that. Um, I do have a lot of history with character development and doing that sort of thing. It's actually what brought me to pursue a theater degree when I was an undergraduate. How did your passion for theater get translated into a stage reborn? So originally what happened was I got into law school and I moved to downtown Seattle where they have a wonderful amount of opportunities in theater. However, being in law school, I had absolutely no time to get involved with local productions. I had no time to view local productions. A lot of my time was spent stuck reading law books and learning about the law that applies to the art rather than being able to participate farther in the art. It kind of struck me one day while I was reading, I would read my books in front of my computer just because I would type notes up. And I realized that I had enough time to play games for probably one or two hours uh, throughout the week and, and do something. At that time, I had been subscribed on Final Fantasy XIV. And with the evolution of their housing system, their glamour system, I realized that I could take those few hours and do something creative. So my free company friends and I, we started doing costume contests, variety shows, and you know, using that precious time that I had while studying at my apartment, I was able to kind of you know, start the basic workings of A Stage Reborn. Awesome, awesome. And how has A Stage Reborn evolved from those dinky little productions to the phenomenon that it is today? We never knew in the beginning how far this would go. When we started, we thought it was a great opportunity to show people what you could do in a video game outside of just the content. We wanted to show people that they could really tap into their creative using the things that the tools that the developers gave us through housing, through glamours. It got popular enough to a point where, you know, we had we had some milestone moments. We reached the actual housing capacity of a plot and uh, people were getting ejected from the plot when they were trying to enter. And uh, we, we realized that if this many people were turning out for something that was non-content, we could do bigger. And so we went with that. Every time that we had a great success, we set the bar a little bit higher. And eventually one day we sat down and we decided, hey, we have enough people attending our variety shows, enough people attending our costume contests. You know, we, we had a great turnout for the first haunted house event that we ran. Why don't we do theater? And so we sat down and we put together I Want to Be Your Canary in 2016. So that was really the first big production that you had as far as, you know, an actual stage show. You had like variety shows, for example, but this was your first theatrical production that you had even put on. And that had an amazing reception from what I remember. Yes, that was the, the first major theatrical production that we put on. We had a lot of recognition from it. We were, we were interviewed for a few articles. We were featured on PC Gamer. Uh, we, we actually had some of the Square Enix staff watch the show, I believe, as well, um, and a lot of other prominent content creators in the community. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's anyone that hasn't heard of The Stage Reborn. You know, you would be surprised. <laughs> 
So in playing on, especially Baomong, for example, a server where you you would presume with what we do, a lot of people on Baomong in the role-playing community would, would know what a stage reborn is. Even then, I still get a lot of people who have no idea what we are. I do get people that know what we are, but they don't know specifically who we are. I recently held a, a panel and had a table at a local convention, the High Plains Minicon here in Scotts Bluff. And at that, I actually had two Final Fantasy XIV players from the Fairy server uh, come to my table because they saw the panel and they said, you know, I recognize the music and this is a theater production. So like, I, I think, you know, is this the same group that put on that show that I couldn't attend because it was on Diabolos? Uh, so we had a nice chat about it. And it, it was interesting that, you know, they had heard of us, they were aware of us, but you know, they, they didn't quite know us. So, you know, we still have a lot of room to expand our recognition in the Final Fantasy 14 community and beyond. Yeah, it's unfortunate that being tied to one single server, even a small server where people can easily roll an alt, is limiting to your scope of activities. But you did mention that you've been playing on Balmung and also doing different ASR activities, new ones and different kinds of ones on different servers. So let's start there. What's going on on Balmung? So with Baomung, we recently made a decision as a group to spread our activities through multiple servers. A lot of what we do after we complete a successful production, project, event, or activity is we sit down and we go, how can we improve? How can we improve our outreach? And one of the most important parts, which is part of our mission, how can we make the arts more accessible in what we're doing? Doing a theater production, it's it's hard to do it across multiple servers because, you know, you need everybody there for being on the set, for doing the scenes together, you know, for a live show. Uh, all the work that goes into it makes it hard to split it across multiple servers. However, that's been probably our greatest request since we started with a Canary in 2018. We've had a lot of people asking, is there a way you can take your production? and travel like a troop. Uh, we've had a lot of support asking us to come to other servers. So we sat down, we did some polling, uh, we got some community feedback, we got some feedback from our own team, and we decided that moving forward, we were going to try to spread our activities onto multiple servers, specifically ones that had strong support systems and strong volunteer pools interested in our organization. We're still staying on Diabolos because, you know, of course, that's our roots, that's where you know, a lot of our resources and, you know, the ease of accessibility to that server have always been that way. We added uh, HQ on Gilgamesh, which is going to be essentially our fan-free company for the game. Um, that's going to be the basis for that activity. We know Musecast is on there. We're very happy to be on the same server with you. Uh, we know, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of content creators on Gilgamesh, and so you know, we we have a strong content creator support web on Gilgamesh. So that was the basis for moving there. And then we wanted to choose a strong community of people that you know, we're familiar, experienced, and interested in the sort of live works that we were doing in the game. So we chose Baomung because of the role-playing community there that has, and this ties back into, you know, how I kind of turned uh, role-playing into a theater degree, theater degree from role-playing. Uh, role-playing the character development you do, the script writing you do when creating plots, all of these things are, you know, things that I've done in a professional capacity working in theater. And I knew that Baomong, and many people knew that Baomong would be probably one of the best places on the game to foster that sort of community and, and bolster our volunteer pool. Awesome, awesome. Have you, outside of ASR activities, been able to take advantage on the personal side of Baomong's role-playing community? Because Wanda Sabaku is your original character. Yes, actually. Um, and here's the thing that a lot of people don't know. Wanderer Sabaku was created when I was in, I believe, elementary school, uh, as far back as maybe even kindergarten. Wanderer Sabaku was this character that, you know, I would create him in every video game that I played, every role-playing community that I joined. I used to, uh, instead of listening in class, I would pencil sketch comic frames and, and create these adventurers of Wanderer Sabaku. And so he was, he became this character, and I know a lot of role players might be able to connect with this. It's this character that has been with you your whole life, and so you, you find ways to carry them into every game, every role play community that you can. 
Baomong has been a wonderful experience because I, I founded a free company on Baomong called A Thousand Faces. And uh, for those interested, you can check out our plot at Goblet 218. So A Thousand Faces was based on the idea of that. People who want to carry stories regardless of lore, of origin, you know, things personal to them. It's a, it's a free and neutral space for people to utilize their muse. And in founding this free company, I've, you know, found a lot of players that have been, you know, wonderful with that kind of mindset. And it's allowed me to take this 20 plus year story and character development and revive it. And... You know, back in the day when I first created this character and this and this plot, I always wanted to, you know, either turn it into a comic, turn it into a book, some uh, a play script, and I actually I, I did a bit of playwriting uh, for just class assignments in undergrad, utilizing this character's history, and then it kind of dropped off, and it was you know this piece of art that has been something I've always been working on throughout my whole life. And coming to Baumung has allowed me to revive that and really take a look at what I've created over the years and say, hey, I can take this character, I can role play the plot, I can close the loopholes, the, the, you know, the loose strings on the story, I can complete this and I can give it more fullness, enough that I can revisit the history of this character and maybe write a book, maybe write an actual play on him. That's one of the things I find amazing about Balmung is that it's allowed me to revive my character's history, continue it, and give that sense of, of holistic completeness to my own tale. That is amazing. So you're not doing this alone then. You're doing this with other role players in 14 even to help close these loopholes and develop your character further. That is correct. And uh, not all of them are uh, free company members at A Thousand Faces. There, there are others that, you know, I've just met through friends of friends, through playing casually in the role-playing community that uh, have kind of helped contribute to reviving this character, this story, and, and my creative interest in, in, in finalizing this tale and, and getting it down in words or in paint or however it comes out. And, um, you know, some of these people have actually really interesting shared roots. One thing is this, because it's such a long tale and I've used this this uh, character in so many different universes, it is very lore-bendy, lore-breaky. I try to adapt it to those who are interested in the tale to make it, you know, so it's not overly complex or overly dramatic in, in how much it changes the lore up for those that participate, although that's sometimes hard to do. Uh, but one thing that's happened is, you know, I've met characters in 14 on Balmung through doing this story and continuing this story, characters that have a shared history. Uh, for example, Wanderer Sabaku had several years of a story that happened in Final Fantasy XI on Vanadil. And somebody that I met on 14 through role-playing a continuation of the story, it turns out that that person also had character history from the same game, from Final Fantasy XI on Vanadil. And another one of my friends who was uh, a major character in Sabaku's plot, it turns out that she also has been playing 14 on Brynhildr. And she is going to be making an alt, so we could kind of have a continuation of that story from Eleven in 14 on Balmung. And so, you know, it's it's been this amazing melting pot. And uh, I didn't expect that from the Balmung community. Awesome, awesome. That's amazing. Besides your own role play, I hear that you've been contributing and ASR has been helping to contribute to the event scene. That is correct. And I know there was some announcements a while back about a production called Midnight Diner Shiragane Stories. So that project, uh, it's been changed into more of a personal project at this point because we want to delegate tasks and organization resources in a way that you know allows the organization to focus on you know the work that it needs to do its own internal you know changes and updates that it needs to focus on and takes projects like Midnight Diner and allows them to be donated as personal projects from the person heading it up. So what I've been doing is um, if you've been keeping vigilant of the RP calendar, you will notice that every second, third, and fourth Friday now at midnight Eastern time, well, Friday into Saturday at midnight, there's an event called Midnight Diner at Mashia. And that is the the actual Midnight Diner event. It's on Baumung, Shiragane Ward 3, Plot 2. 
And for those that are familiar with the, you know, the story of Midnight Diner, this this Japanese izakaya that people come to and express these stories and kind of, you know, it's this this neutral atmosphere where people can just come have a warm meal and relax and share their tales, you know, solve their life issues and things. It's it's a very heartwarming story. And that is what we're trying to, you know, replicate through the role-playing community on Baomong by hosting this event. So this event has actually been going on for some weeks now. Because my real-life schedule has gotten so busy, I've actually been running it collaboratively with my free company on Baomong with a thousand faces. And um, so every second through fourth Saturday, or Friday into Saturday at that time, you are able to go to that plot, sit down and have, you know, that kind of diner experience where, you know, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to meet anyone and everyone. That's awesome that anybody can just come in and share their story. So it was originally a Stage Reborn production at one point. Is there ever going to be any connection with the Stage Reborn in the future then? Absolutely. And this is something I discussed with the board when we decided to move it into a personal project that would be donated. What this does is it allows me to get the event established as a RP event on Baomong that's self-sustaining and recurring. My plan is to, you know, observe events and I do I do play host at this event sometimes. I'll be at the event as quote unquote the master, which is the character's name. And what I do is I observe these these interactions and, you know, part of it is just the fun of role playing, you know, this this nice diner experience, the cozy atmosphere. Uh, we, we work painstakingly hard to craft that sort of atmosphere. And so in observing the interactions, we kind of, you know, or at least I kind of sit down and go, OK, is there is there a theme, a lesson? Is there is there a a strong story that I can tell from tonight's activity. And I make notes on the event. You know, I, I make notes of the character names, the, the things that are discussed in character, uh, and kind of decide if, if this is something that we can recreate into a heartwarming tale or an interesting tale or a catching tale. And what my plan is, is once I've, you know, established enough episodes and enough of a, a tale to, to essentially create a season of this, I will actually be contacting the role players who were involved in each of those scenes that I've noted down. And I'll say, hey, you know, the the story that you've told, the role play that you've done, what your character has contributed to my event, I would like to film that. Would you like to play your character? And what our hope is, you know, and this is where the it ties into A Stage Reborn, its mission, and what we're hoping to do. What I hope to achieve, create, and then ultimately donate to my organization to distribute is these role players who have contributed, you know, these kind of heartwarming lesson learned tales and interactions that really show great parts of humanity. We want to take those and give these role players an opportunity to get involved in writing the script, in in learning a little bit more about acting. You know, role players using the emotes and how they chat, they've already got that great experience in character acting through basically a digital puppet. But you know, we'll we'll help them learn even more about, you know, things that they can do through their role playing that contribute to digital acting and things that digital acting can contribute to their enjoyment of role playing. Other opportunities I'm hoping to provide to these players that do get involved in the event are um, opportunities to actually voice their character or maybe be involved in choosing who voices their character. The Midnight Diner project, we do want to have voice uh, voiceovers. And so, you know, that's going to be another aspect of it is, you know, dealing with how do you how do you do the lip sync recording by typing into the game and then, you know, mixing that with more of the film side of of role play like how do you how do you change it from role play into a film and uh, so that's that's what we're hoping to provide i'm kind of reminded of you know how books get turned into movie adaptations something very very similar to that and so i guess in that way like writing writing is an art this is exactly that this is exactly what i'm trying to do and you know that's that's our whole point of of engaging baumung as far as a stage reborn goes is when I was an undergrad, I put role playing on my on my acting resume to use at college auditions because, you know, and I would explain, I do character writing, I do character development, I do stagecraft in how I run my character. Doesn't that translate to what I'm doing on a stage? 
And I think it's important that role players recognize that, you know, sure, there's a lot of role players out there that are probably of the mindset that, hey, I'm just doing this for fun. But their form of fun, like your form of fun, that is inherently creative. That is a creative industry skill set that you're developing by having fun. And I think that's that's very important to recognize and and put a spotlight on. Oh, it absolutely is. It seems like you have a ton of respect and admiration for the community that you've found. I'm so glad that Balmung has treated you really, really well. At the same time, we all know that not everybody has treated Balmung well. And a while back, I know that Kotaku Gate had you a bit riled up, so much so that you put together a diatribe. For those who aren't aware, Kotaku Gate was a sort of incident in which Kotaku put out an article about some subset of the community on Balmung. And they wrote out this article in a way that got people riled up. Because the way that people interpreted it was that Final Fantasy XIV and Balmung, by extension, is all about ERP. Now, of course, this isn't the case. ERP is a subset of roleplay, to be sure. But needless to say, all roleplay is not ERP. So tell us what the main points you wanted to make in this essay about the perception of RP is, because you started out with, I'm a role player on Balmung, declaring that proudly. And why do some people have a problem with that? Well, there's there's definitely two prongs to when, and that was, um, I believe that they did a, a multiple part article on that. And they had previously interviewed A Stage Reborn regarding one of our productions. And so it was it was a bit of a shock to me to see the it felt like a change of heart to cover our organization and our our charitable mission and you know to express the holistic warm-hearted feelings of what the 14 community can do in this sort of aspect uh, and then to turn around and publish something that colors the game as this raunchy experience if you are in the role-playing community uh, or even just in general with the game and what struck me is that in our early years and even now still a lot of people look at what a stage reborn does and they say that's role-playing and you know maybe by their definition of role-playing it is because we're not playing the game in the traditional sense of completing content we're doing something different and creative where you know we've we've created roles to play but we're not playing these characters you know when we're doing a production i'm not putting my text in quotation marks i'm not talking as a director character you know we're, we're using technical terms we're talking about game mechanics you know we're we're talking in the sense of you know actually playing the game rather than creating a plot creating a story you know our production may be telling a story it may be putting on entertainment but our activities themselves are not role-playing but those those articles that came out you know, they, they affect us because of people's perception of, of what the 14 community is and anything that can be attributed to role playing. With me as a role player, especially, you know, these articles came around uh, when we announced doing Midnight Diner on Balmung. And, you know, it, it negatively affects us because it makes you wonder, hey, should we be announcing our activities? Should we be getting involved in the community when there's this this stigma that's being pressured and and pushed upon and we're not talking a one-shot article we're talking multiple articles i mean none of us knew how this was going to end when it was going to end so you know it just it made us feel unsure and unsafe it made me feel unsure and unsafe about talking about role playing because there are people and i even i even have friends that'll joke about it i i i like to perform on balmung i like to perform in the quicksand because it's a great audience standing in the middle of the quicksand is the perfect radius for bard perform it's a great place for me to try out new performances to try out new things and you know even before that i had uh, i had a free company that you know they they did some before i founded a thousand faces you know we we would role play like these characters that were trying to establish a home but we didn't have a home and we were struggling and we were like pearl lane would be a perfect setting for this because the you know the how dilapidated it is and the struggle that's present there it's a great atmosphere for it but you get those people who they'll joke or they'll be serious and they'll say oh what are you doing in old doc clearly something dirty 
And that's just wrong to view it like that. That kind of is really what shook me with that article. Yeah, it's unfortunate when role players have to get on the defensive. And it's unfortunate to have to feel like we need to defend ourselves from attack. Even on Balmung, where such things should be expected to be commonplace. So I wrote kind of a, a reflection on you know my my perception of that article going out there and this and this reflection just as a note it's it's coming from me personally as a person as a role player and not coming from a stage reborn or you know a stage reborn's opinion this is you know disclaimer this is my opinion my opinion alone and so quoting from this bit that i wrote i said so why do i role play why do content creators collaborate why do people write fiction? Why do people design characters to go on, you know, making art portfolios surrounding them and their theme? I think the easier question would be, why shouldn't I role play? And right now, the only answer I can think of is because the way the RP community is being portrayed puts me at risk. I was a bit timid in writing this letter because I represent my nonprofit, A Stage Reborn, when I speak. You know, when I say what I do, it's often reflected upon my entire organization. So to label myself as something that right now is getting a lot of negative attention, a role player, that is a risk. Why is being creative a risk? Why indeed? I mean, we've talked many times about the absolutely illogical negative attention of role players in an MMORPG. Guess what, guys? The RP stands for role-playing. I always like to say we're all role-players on some level. So one of the things that bothered me personally is that instead of being recognized as a niche part of a community that exists, I was finding myself and others, you know, having to defend ourselves, like you said, when, when people are labeling ourselves and others as role-players and that also spreads to activities that are being labeled role-playing. And, you know, it's it's not doing anyone any justice when that happens. And for that, you know, when that happened around Midnight Diner's release, you know, it kind of made me think, should I be doing this? Or is this is this too dangerous for our organization? Is this is this something that's gonna reflect really poorly upon us because of everything that's going through the air about the negative aspect, or, you know, the negative perceptions of role players. Absolutely. And actually, it seemed like in the past, um, ASR had the stance that you weren't a role play organization. A lot of people perceived you as, oh, you're doing theater work. That means that you're a role play organization. And when you had announced Midnight Diner, clearly that involves some aspect of including role players on it. Has A Stage Reborn really changed at all? Has it has the inclusion of Midnight Diner changed what the organization is, do you think? We had a long discussion about this in the past, including when we, you know, and you can you can review our history and how we've made statements we are not role playing. And that was because what would happen is a lot of people would blanket categorize all of our activities as just role playing. And we wanted people to understand and recognize our charitable mission and our vision that we are a registered 501c3 nonprofit, that our activities, our plan and our future vision is not just doing, you know, their single perception of what they think is role playing. On Final Fantasy XIV, we we have a lot of work to do. Still, we're continually expanding and planning for our future, and we're and we're planning carefully. We really want to push the accessibility of the arts through these digital interactive mediums, and you know, through the expertise that we've we've created as a nonprofit. We wanted people to recognize that first and foremost. So, in engaging the role playing community, have we changed as an organization? We have not. If anything, we have opened up more. Indeed, and you're still continuing to open up. I'm interested in learning more about what you have planned for the Gilgamesh server. I believe there's going to be a new type of theater workshop. That is correct. We've recently used 
Edgar Allan Poe for the basis of a workshop that will be taking place on Gilgamesh. So because, you know, Gilgamesh is, you know, a, a strong server, it's still very accessible. And, you know, thanks to MuseCast and, and friends, we, we have resources to, to do good activities there. And so what we're doing is we're going to put together a series of workshops to teach people the technique and, you know, the, the method that goes behind doing what we do. So, you know, our first workshop was taking that bit of Edgar Allan Poe short and turning it into a series of beats. Uh, for those that might have a bit of an acting background, you may know something called beat analysis, where you take a scene and you break a conversation down into these exchanges called beats. Every beat has kind of an intent, a purpose behind it, a sort of a desire and an action driving it. And so we took that to you know help those that attended understand how you would analyze a script, and then how you would use that to translate into character movement, macro building, uh, emotes, and so on. When you put together an audition, a scene for a play or something in a video game, you kind of have to have that beat analysis understanding of the content. So that way you can make sure that, you know, macros have a finite amount of text you can put in a line for speech in the game. And so, you know, you want to make sure that you're breaking down the script into a macro in a way that makes sense. And that was that workshop's goal. Uh, we're going to be making videos and kind of guides of these workshops to go on our YouTube channel. So that way it'll be accessible to those that aren't able to attend. But we really do hope more people attend. And the script breakdown, that was just one of the workshops, upcoming workshops that we're planning on. And I think I have to confirm with Pat, our vice president, but this is going to be our second workshop. It's going to deal with set building. Uh, for those that have seen A Stage Reborn's really grand sets with the, you know, the multiple tiers, the elevator glitching, all the neat stuff that create the, the, you know, the, the spectacle of the stage, we will be teaching you how to do that and giving you the opportunity to do a bit of set building yourself. So that way you can learn how to really tap into the creative housing system and push it to its limits. And I imagine that would probably be good for not only people who want to use it for set building, for example, but also anybody who might be interested in decorating even. It's just another way of creative expression. Yes, absolutely. And anybody is welcome to attend these upcoming workshops on Gilgamesh. You can take advantage of what we have to offer for personal enjoyment of the game for, you know, role players. If it doesn't matter if you're on Baomung, if you can get an alt on Gilgamesh to attend, we're happy to work with you on how to build scenes. Um, even, you know, even if you come to us and you're like, hey, I know you're doing the set building in a mansion, but I only have a private chamber. I'd like to do this. How do I build this in a private chamber? And we'll work with you on, you know, what resources you can do to plan and execute your vision of a role play scene in a private chamber. You know, we're there to enable you and help you, you know, better plan and execute your vision of how you want to craft a stage, no matter what that stage is being used for. That's awesome, because I know that creating role play spaces is a priority for a lot of role players, especially on servers like Gilgamesh. I've taken every housing space that I can get access to and decorated it for some kind of purpose, just because I want those to exist for people to use. Right. And I mean, when you think about it, any kind of housing, any kind of place where your role play is taking place is a stage. Like what Wanderer is saying, I believe, is not just we're here to make a stage in the sense of here is an actual stage in a theater where a scene takes place. It's more here is your environment in which your scene, your interactions with other characters are taking place. Oh, yes. As Shakespeare didn't say, all the world of Eorzea is a stage. <laughs> or only only stages in the traditional sense are stages it is truly a stage reborn <laughs> <laughs> so aside from all those neat goodies that are happening on Gilgamesh are there any other future activities that are maybe ongoing or upcoming that you're planning on working on there's a lot. And um, I know there has been a few questions from people I've seen come across on social media and things saying, hey, where's where's a stage reborn, Ben? We haven't seen you since Canary Reprise. We know a Midsummer Night Dream was announced. Um, and, you know, we're, we're actually we're a small nonprofit. We have a staff combined of about maybe 20 people. Um, so sometimes things happen. Our vice president just took up a job at the Pokemon Company in Washington. And, you know, I recently 
recently got that new job at a, a law firm in my town, uh, which, you know, there's some days where I'm working a 12 hour shift. And so sometimes schedules just get complicated and we just have to adjust. Uh, thankfully, everything we do is virtual and remote, so we are able to adjust. Uh, but sometimes that does add some delays to projects. One of the changes that we've made recently, and we announced this at High Plains Minicon, is that in reflection of our collaboration with the High Plains Minicon organization, we're actually going to be repurposing a Midsummer Night's Dream as a webcomic. Now, we're still going to do a full theatrical production in the sense of set building, macros, emotes, you know, photography, and recording. Um, however, we are not likely to do a live production with, you know, a, a full theater and audience. Um, if we can, we will. But that is, you know, that's more secondary at this point. What we plan to do to make it not only more accessible for our own team scheduling, but more accessible to the Final Fantasy XIV and, and general gaming community at large that might want to, hey, make a trial account and join the game to try this out. Uh, what we're doing is we're actually going to be building pieces of the set either unique or duplicates on multiple servers. There's going to be, we already have some Midsummer Night Dream materials on, I believe both Baumung and Diabolos right now. I believe we're gonna be building some on Gilgamesh and we're going to make it, because a lot of people asked, hey, I wanna be involved in, in Midsummer, but if it's gonna be on Baumung, that might be a little challenge for me. Um, and originally on Diabolos, if it was on Diabolos, we had people saying, well, my main character's here, and I think that'd be a lot of extra work that I don't have time for to do it over there. So we're just, we're going to try and accommodate, and we're going to do it on multiple servers. We're gonna break the scenes up into episodes, so it's gonna be the full play in episodic format, and, you know, there there may be doubles for characters. We may do a little bit of creative rewriting, which actually we'll be announcing that soon. Uh, we'll be looking for additional project managers who might be interested in some of the writing aspect of play adaptation, because we will be changing this into an episodic webcomic. We are going to be reviewing the script and doing a bit of a writing arrangement into an episodic format rather than acts and scenes. Uh, so that's going to be an opportunity that has opened up with this adjustment. And we're also looking at some software solutions where not only will we be able to deliver a webcomic that, you know, normally with a webcomic you have still frames. What we want to do is, you know, give the option to have some of these frames, especially for pinnacle moments in the play or, or moments of spectacle. We want to give an option for animated frames. So we're taking a look to see if that's a feasible adjustment that we can do. So that way it's a much more interactive engagement with a webcomic than just reading a flat panel. When we made this decision, one of our biggest focuses was making sure that, you know, this would make it more accessible, which we believe it does. But at the same time, it's a really transformative change. Um, you know, it's still going to be a play, and those that are involved are still going to get the theatrical aspect of it. For the delivery, the delivery is all that's really changing. And for those that read the webcomic once it is published, you're not just going to be reading a webcomic, you're going to be reading a theatrical production. And so I'm hoping in the delivery of this that we succeed in, you know, delivering that theatrical aspect through a webcomic. It's almost like when I was running the table at High Plains Minicon, uh, a lot of younger people, they would walk by and they would just freeze in front of the TV. And I'd have, you know, I had the worker looping for a bit. I had the story of Maria and Draco playing for a bit. And they would stop and they would just 10 minutes watch the game. And then they'd come up to me and they would say, hey, hey, what video game is this? And I'd say, you're, well, it's Final Fantasy XIV, but did you know you're watching a theatrical production? They had no idea. The fact that I could captivate people for a, for an extended set of time, and they had no idea they were watching theater. It's like, you know, for somebody who is an advocate for the arts, it's, it's a success because, you know, they had this thought that they were watching a video game when really they were digesting theater. And that is so important for raising arts awareness. So I'm hoping for that level of success to come through, you know, this adaptation of Midsummer's into a webcomic. So that is, you know, the, the biggest thing that we're going to be working on. And I believe 2019 is going to be when that gets out there. And I think there's a, there's a few other projects. We're sure you'll think of something. <laughs> I know we have some things in mind. I'm just not sure how 
much I'll get yelled at by Pat by <laughs> spilling the ideas early. I don't know. Maybe it could be a MuseCast exclusive. We understand there are NDAs. We don't want to spill the beans too early on anything because, you know, we with especially being we're you know we're technically you know a, a technology startup nonprofit. at least that's what probably some news place would categorize us as so there's there's a lot of adjustments being made there's a lot of you know adjustments to the organization to projects based on virtual availability because you know we we do have people coast to coast we we have a volunteer that's in australia we have people on the east coast uh so so arranging everything and getting all that availability set can be tough um, I actually can speak a bit on one of our other upcoming projects we're hoping to work on. I can't say specifically what the project is going to be, but I can say that we have had our sights on ION for quite some time now. We know that 6.0 ReFly is coming out, and you know this is going to be one of those things where we do want to expand outside the 14 community and in getting people to recognize that, you know, and this goes back to the the creative talents that role players and others bolster by doing these activities on 14, that they are universal for the arts, and these can be applied anywhere in other games, in other mediums. And so, you know, we're, we're hoping to express that through ION. And we also have an ongoing project. We've been working with Pat on A Stage Reborn Sings, which I know he's also looking for uh, extra support through uh, a general project manager for that we'll be looking for, uh, just because his new schedule with Pokemon has kept him rather busy. Uh, but that's going to be something that we're going to be looking at working on in the coming year. So it's safe to say that anyone who is interested in helping out, there's plenty to do. So how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can uh, they can contact us through a whole bunch of ways. We are everywhere. We are on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Discord. Use the invite code a stage reborn, all one word. That'll put you in our Discord where you can get in touch with any of the staff members. You can also go to www.astagereborn.com. Uh, we do have you know we have in our menu on the website through navigation. You can go to the the staff page. Um, there's a general application that you can click on. There will be some postings for specific positions coming up that we're looking for. And that's another thing, you know, with a stage reborn is that a lot of people see us as, you know, even if they recognize our mission and vision and everything, they might think that we're just a game guild. And we're beyond that. We have a fan-free company on Gilgamesh that we're really proud of, and anybody's open and free to join it. You don't have to be involved with us or not. You can just be a player. Um, but our nonprofit is a full nonprofit. You know, we have a board of directors, we have a legal department, we have a PR team, and, you know, we're always accepting applications for volunteers. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I think it would be an honor for any of you creative folks out there because even just in this interview, I've learned more than I knew before. And I have to declare that ASR has really pushed the creative bounds of FF14 more than any other organization that I know. So thank you for giving this to us. Thank you for being the founder. Yeah. And thank you for being such a wonderful participant audience. <laughs> Emmy has actually been much more involved. I have. I have been uh, volunteering with the Stage Reborn for quite a while, um, both in acting and believe it or not, I'm actually part of their PR team. But on this podcast, this is Musecast. So I'm, I'm your co-host on Musecast. She's just also super talented in other ways. I just dabble in way too many things is what it is. <laughs> well, thank you again, Wanderer. It was such a pleasure having you on. It really was. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. But we're not done with you yet because... <laughs> we still have story time to do. We do. So every episode, because we love playing this game so very much, we give an account of something that has happened in-game, out-of-game, and what have you, uh, that has occurred between this episode and the last one. So who would like to begin this week? I think we should make our guests go first. Wanderer, what story do you have for us today? In-character story, right? In-character is fine. Well, this will be a gem, because not many people know anything about the history of the character Wanderer Sawaku and what he has been up to, especially as of late, because he is, technically, he does exist on the Balmung server as a role-playing character. So the character Wanderer Sawaku started as a guardian. He was a desert wanderer, hence the name Sawaku, and that's actually a story for another time, the, or the origin of how I named him. 
but he was a desert wanderer that found himself protecting a character who also exists on the Balmung server now. You probably have seen him, Alluring Artiste. And so Alluring Artiste and Sabaku have had this history of traveling together through many a realm, one of them being Vanadil. And he's recently come into touch with a few people who have history with that realm as well. In that realm, his story ended off where Sabaku had betrayed one of his closest friends. For those that know of a bit of 14, or 11's lore, um, Sandoria is led by King Destin, so on and so forth. And there was a, anyway, so there was a trial and King Destin was, uh, you know, putting one of Sabaku's closest friends on trial and he was supposed to testify to help free her. Instead, he, for his own means, testified against her to make sure that she would be imprisoned so he could escape and not be interfered with because he had some plans of his own and they were trying to interfere at one point. So he figured this would be a great way to keep his friends busy while he ran off and completed his evil deeds. A little overdramatic there. But anyway, so shortly after those events is when the traveling happened that found him an alluring artiste on Heidelin. And so... Now everything seems to be catching up with him because he ran into that one friend who has history with Vanadil, and he recently came across a flyer that has suggested that the friend that he uh, testified against at trial and screwed over, she apparently also is on Heidelin now somehow. So he's going to have to face that past, and it's going to be very interesting. I've been talking to the to both players on Discord a bit. Uh, kind of plot preparation for how that's going to pan out. So it's a it's a great story from Eleven that I'm looking forward to bringing up in fourteen now. That is super cool. Finding a way to connect the two, even if it is lore breaking or lore bending. I'd like to know what happens at the end. <laughs> what happens after all this, and and when they do, I hope inevitably meet. <laughs> well, Sa- Sabaku's friend, uh, her name is Tawny. And uh, she's the one that's on the Brynhildr server. She's a, uh, a very skilled rogue thief. So I'm sure she's not going to be very happy or nonviolent when meeting her old friend <laughs> who betrayed her. So that's going to be that's going to be interesting. And um, the other character that also is connected to Vanadil, um, she's interested because you know she I guess her character might have family back there that she wants to check on so she wants to be able to you know you have one character that that might want some revenge or justice to be served and another character that may want to safeguard him to make sure that she can reach back and and check on her family um so you know we we still have to do the planning out but i think the the character dynamics for this is going to make for some really interesting plot development and considering my story in 11 sort of fell short when the game died down a bit and a lot of people moved to 14 um it's going to be really exciting to pick up where things were left off good for all of you and reconnecting as friends as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. speaking of friends my story has something to do with the new friend that scoop made recently at the time that we're recording this it's getting to be about time for halloween and with that of course comes all saints wake in the game and with all saints wake comes all of the all saints wake related events that are going on on Gilgamesh. So there are a lot of people who are putting on haunted houses and costume contests and all that. And so recently Scoot went to a haunted maze. And this was a roleplay event, but you could choose to do it out of character. Now Scoot did decide to go in in character. So he's just this little kid who's going around a haunted house. And along the way, he met a ghost. Now, this was a child ghost, actually. Um, Now, Scoot didn't realize it, but the ghost sounded like a kid, even though it was really a grown-up adventurer who was just pretending to be a child ghost. But Scoot was under the impression that this was a, a real, actual ghost. So, he's very intrigued by this, and the ghost asked Scoot, do you want to play? And Scoot, of course, being a kid, says, yeah, I do want to play. And so the ghost then, I, I imagine the person who was playing the character was probably put in a bit of a tough spot because she, she might not have imagined that Scoot would actually say yes. So then the ghost replies with, oh, I'll have to go check with the master. You'll have to stay forever. And Scoot, of course, then says, oh, well, I have to get back home to Allie. So maybe I'll just come back and play another time. So he goes on about his haunted house tour 
and running around this maze and it was it was a whole lot of fun anyway so the story then continues though after this event has ended so scoot leaves the house and who should be outside the house but this ghost still in ghost form using hide of course and um so she looks transparent to scoot and scoot's a little bit surprised and confused about this because how can a ghost be outside he thought all this time that ghosts would just be confined to the haunted house that they're in but nonetheless he continued and befriended this ghost believe it or not and so he then asks all these questions about the ghost like oh what's your name and the ghost just looks at scoot for a moment and says i don't remember so scoot ended up helping this ghost whose name is now saria find a name but Unfortunately, All Saints Week must come to an end, and the event also must come to an end, and so who knows where this story will go? Seeing as it's actually an adventurer who's pretending to be a ghost, if Scoot were ever to encounter this adventurer again, what would he think? What would happen? So it was a very, very sweet story. Scoot ended up vowing to protect this ghost, and, you know, if ever they wanted to play again, then they could play. But... It was just a whole lot of fun to go through this event and I didn't realize that Scoot would make a new friend who was involved with this haunted house during the event. So I absolutely adored the event and the haunted house itself was decorated great, but it just goes to show you can make friends in the most unlikely of places. Even in Hawk Manor. Even in Hawk Manor. Even though <laughs> it wasn't really Hawk Manor, it was just like a haunted mansion, but... Wow. I must be the only one who doesn't have an in-character story, and that's because I haven't been able to play too much. I've actually, in real life, been moving. Everybody's moving. <laughs> uh, I know what you're thinking. First Emmy's moving, and then she's moving again, and now Remix is moving. But my only access to the game for the longest time was not on my usual PC with all my nice hardware, but on my laptop. And this isn't even a Windows laptop we're talking about. This is my Mac laptop running the game through bootcamp. Now I know that there was an ill-fated Mac port of FF14. That's not what I'm playing. <laughs> Thankfully. I didn't realize that that was still a thing. I believe it has ended. I believe it died a horrible, horrible death. They re-upped it. It's actually decent now. Uh, I played it until my laptop's hardware no longer supported it and my screen would just freeze. <laughs> oh no. But needless to say, this MacBook does not have nearly the resources it needs to run the game. So pretty much I could log in, I could garden my plants, I could feed the chocobos, I could maybe check my retainers, but every time I tried to run content, it was a disaster. And one day I was signed in and talking in one of my link shells, one of the few things that this computer could handle, and someone said, who wants to come for a Suzaku normal mode clear? That was my one attempt to run content, and it was laggy as all hell, and I really apologized. I blamed it on lag when it was really, really hardware. I'm sorry to everybody in that run. I was healing too, so I was very, very bad. But I managed to clear Suzaku normal at 18 frames per second. And uh, yay! the big problem there is that I can't see the AoEs in time to move out of them. Yeah, that reminds me of when I started playing Final Fantasy XIV as well. I started out on a laptop just like you, and I ended up actually making it through a lot of the 2.0 scenario up to Circus Tower on that laptop before eventually deciding, okay, I can't get past Circus Tower anymore. <laughs> I can't do any more content, and, you know, all this, all this delay and lag and everything is just too much. So thankfully... Now I have a lovely desktop, and so I hope you can get back to your desktop soon, too. I have, I have. I've gotten back to it, and I never thought I would miss doing Expert Roulette, but I miss doing Expert Roulette. <laughs> it probably seems so smooth in comparison. Yeah. But, luckily, one of the things I could do with that much computing power was roleplay. So in Gilgamesh, we had an Oktoberfest bar crawl, and Natsuki was the host for one of the bars called the Cliffside, which is in the Goblet Lilac Ward. And it's sort of a humorous in-joke, because 
Anyone who's been to the goblet can see there's many, many sheer cliffs. So there's a slightly tongue-in-cheek joke that you can't ever really tell if it's serious or not, is that it's an event hall and a body disposal site. You can literally just throw a dead body off of that cliff if you really, really wanted to. Yeah, and I commented that the goblet is really a great place for the crooks and underworld of Uldah to live because there's so many places to hide the bodies. Aww. <laughs> Which, of course, says nothing about the population of Uldah at all. <laughs> so that's my story. My story at 18 frames per second. And that, I believe, concludes our episode for today. Indeed. What have we got coming up for our listeners to enjoy? So next up, we have what I would like to call more of a rapid-fire episode, and that's because we're covering a pretty big topic with a lot of variation. Namely, we're going to be discussing the beast tribes of Eorzea. They can be found just about everywhere we've gone so far, and they're a whole lot different. But we wanted to go over some of the culture of all the beast tribes because we know there are people out there who do roleplay as, for example, sylphs and other Beast Tribe members, so anybody who might be interested in that, this episode is for you. Yes, indeed. I mean, we covered each of the city-states, and Alamigo, and the Far East. And Ishgard. But societies exist within those places that have their own values, their own cultures. And through our experiences in Beast Tribe quests, we learn that they're people too. They may not be of the spoken races, but they are people, maybe even if they're not humans. And I believe that's all you really need to form a character around. You need a society with a set of values. You need characters with motivations. And I believe it's a whole new world of roleplay that maybe people haven't thought of, but some people have, and we've heard from them and we've heard their experiences. So we want to give everybody a primer on every beast tribe that we have encountered so far, and we'll see if we can fit them all to one episode. We'll see, though. <laughs> we think it might end up going a little bit long like most of our city-state episodes. <laughs> but until then, you can always check out some of our past episodes. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And you can also check out some of our social media and interact with us there. Our website is musecastxiv.com. That is hosted on Tumblr. You can also find us on Facebook. Just look up MusecastXIV and you will find us there as well. You can also find us on Twitter at MusecastXIV. We are very, very, very original with our naming conventions. I like to say consistent. Consistent too. That's true. And if you would like to chat with us on Discord, you can always do that too. There's a link to that on our website as well. And if you are interested in checking us out on Twitch, we have some of our main scenario adventures posted on there. And we do pretty regular streams on there. You can take a look at that. The address for that is twitch.tv slash musecastxiv. Yes, we also feature RP events, special events, on the servers that we play on. But if there's any event that you, dear listener, would like us to cover, just get in touch with us. Yes, through any of those ways. And if you liked what you heard, and you would like to support us in some way or other, there are a couple of ways you can do that too. You can go to our Patreon, where for a monthly donation, you can get access to things like bonus content, all the things that we wanted to talk about but just didn't have the time to do. Or you can get access to episodes 24 hours before they actually are released to everybody else, which is always a cool perk to have too, in my opinion. Indeed. Alternatively, you can go to our PayPal and make a one-time donation. For both of those, you can get to them by going to our website, musecastxiv.com, and clicking on the shiny blue buttons. And you can also support our Twitch streaming efforts. It doesn't really go directly to the podcast, but it does go to support more of our Twitch streaming by subbing to us on Twitch or giving us some bits Wee as well. bits. Cheer us. However you decide to support us, we will be very, very thankful. We certainly will, dear listeners. We couldn't do any of this without you and all of your love. But speaking of Twitch, we're going to be very, very busy streaming for Extra Life quite soon. As some of you may know, Extra Life is an annual fundraiser held to support the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And this will be our second year participating as part of the FF14 content creators team. Now... The usual 24-hour marathon happens on November 3rd, 
since we do not have the ability to stream for 24 hours straight, we'd also like to extend our fundraising efforts through the holidays since we know that around fan fest time, people are quite busy and quite low on cash. <laughs> Ourselves included, to be honest. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We were just talking earlier about our cosplay plans. Ugh, it is a crunch time. But again, we will both be attending FanFest, and we will have giveaways for anyone who meets us on the floor. If you see someone with the t-shirts, come meet us at FanFest. We would love to meet you. We would love to interview you. We'll let you know how to find us in Vegas. We got a bunch of new designs for stickers and up on our Redbubble shop, which will be posted on our social medias. So check that out in case you're short on t-shirts for FanFest. We did new designs for 2018, and we've also got the previous designs from 2016, which I think look pretty cool because, well, I designed them. But yeah, between Extra Life and FanFest, it's going to be a busy November. So we look forward to sharing all of that with all of you. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. And for those that might be interested, um, like I said, I do run a thousand faces on the Baumonk server. You can find us in the Goblet 218. And if you're interested in learning who exactly is Wanderer Sabaku and the 20 plus year story that the universe's character came from, feel free to stop by and look for a Luang Artiste on Baumung, and I'm happy to include you. Yes, you too can RP with Wanderer. I gotta get on Baumung more, sheesh. I do too. We have too many characters. <laughs> So thank you again, listeners, and thank you again, Wanderer Sabaku, for joining us. Indeed, thank you. We'll be back next time with our coverage of the Beast Tribes of Eorzea and the Far East. And until then, happy adventuring, and we will see you next time. Yep, see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Beast Tribes. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.